The scripture reading today is from the book of Jeremiah and the Gospel of Luke. You can find it printed on page 8 of your worship folder. A reading from Jeremiah chapter 23. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long? Will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back, those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? A reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask that you would meet with us now, be with us, help us to believe that we are in this room right now because you've seen to it. Help us to believe that you see us fully, you know us. You see us in all of our complexity, all of our getting it and all of our not getting it, all of our beauty and glory and all of our fragmentation and pain. And your response is always to move towards us, to restore, to heal. And so we ask that you would do that today in whatever way we may need that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was being interviewed for the junior high youth pastor's job. That's right, I was a junior high youth pastor. Went straight to heaven when I die, ladies and gentlemen. It's bad theology, don't believe that last sentence. I was 25 years old, it's a large church in the south, and after talking with the church search committee and being recommended to the senior pastor, that was my one last hurdle, is I had to meet with the senior pastor. He likes a dark office, I thought as I walked in. 
He sat behind an old lamp, and all I could see was his silhouette. I know, Godfather is coming to mind right now, right? All I could see was a silhouette as I sat down. And then his resonant, deep voice. And he had such a voice. Fred, we have a long history of youth ministry in this church. I'm actually doing a perfect impersonation. <laughs> I have people who call me on the phone and say, Fred, just do Dr. Baird for me quickly. Seriously. You know him. One of my favorite human beings in the face of the earth. Came the voice from behind this lamp. And then these four words. You must do well. That's it. That was it. The interview was over. You must do well. What I heard was, you don't have the option at this church of not doing well. You must do well. You must not fall asleep at the switch. You must not lose your sense of urgency. You could not do well. It might end badly. You must strive for excellence. You must do well. I did not see that coming. Now, I don't know what you expected to hear Jesus say this morning when you came to church. But I'll bet your response to the gospel reading might be something like, I did not see that one coming. Or from Jeremiah as well, who I also made sure is as a part of this week's lectionary reading. Because I want you to understand Jesus as someone who speaks in the Jeremiah tradition with this prophetic voice. Or maybe you just thought, how on earth is Fred going to deal with this passage? So I'm the senior pastor here, so I've decided not to. Peter, will you please come up and tell us what you think? It's good leadership, that's all that was. Or why did Fred choose this? And I've already told you I didn't actually choose this. This is actually what's next in the common, revised common lectionary. But I believe Jesus is saying in some way, in an even more intense way to his followers, you must do well. The stakes are too high. The lives of these junior hires, I believe Dr. Baird was saying to me, are precious. You must do well. The reign of God that I've come to bring, Jesus says, look, we must do well. You must do well. And there's always forgiveness, of course. We talk a lot about that. There's always grace, and he knows that we will fail, and he will forgive us, and we will continue on. But that doesn't keep him from being, it's a key word, and you can look for it with Jesus. It does not keep him from being urgent. There's a certain urgency that followers of Jesus must take on. So maybe he say, maybe not you must do well, but you must wake up. And so the big first idea, the, the first big idea in this passage that I want you to see is that Jesus is stressed. Somebody says, yeah, he looks stressed. He sounds stressed in this passage. He is stressed. Jesus says, what stress I am under. What stress? How refreshing. How refreshing. If you are stressed, feel no shame. That just means you're a human being. Jesus felt stress. 
And the particular stress Jesus feels is the stress of what the systems of this world do to you when you go against the status quo. When you identify with the poor, when you identify with the marginalized, when you call people to be their best selves, when you expose the wickedness of empire, when you expose the hypocrites who were using religion for personal gain, as Jesus did, Jesus felt stressed because he is knowing what is going to happen to him because of this. Stress is common in communities of color, as I've been told by many, because each moment of each day, they keep their guard up. It's exhausting to be black in America, Fred, I've been told directly. It's exhausting to do the labor for white people who don't see their complicity or how they run over me while they are trying to help me or how they center their voice when we need ours centered, when they repeat things like all lives matter when ours clearly don't. As Austin Channing Brown said in her book, I'm still here, white people exhaust me. Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth. And how I wish it was already kindled is the fire Jesus brings in Luke is referring to a refining fire. The kind of fire that has to break down and purify before it can be healed. Dr. Edgar Watson around 75 years old, didn't mince words with me. I was in ninth grade. I had the county championship and football coming up in a few nights. I developed what I believe he called a dermopolyp, right where a strap of my shoulder pads crossed over and it had become infected it had to be removed if I was going to lead the team to victory, which I did. <laughs> Just telling the story, people. Just telling the story. And he said to me in his old 75-year-old, very southern country voice, I'll have to cauterize this to close it up after I cut it off. So pro tip, when you hear the word cauterize, from a doctor, run. I smelled my flesh burning, I screamed, I cursed, and then it stopped. And he said to me, it was painful, I know, but look, it's healed up. It's supposed to be encouraging to me. Jesus has a baptism ahead of him. He's on the way to Jerusalem and crucifixion. He knows what empire does to people who speak words of fire. The mob will be loud the anxiety will rise in the crowds in Jerusalem, and he'll be scapegoated to make that anxiety go down. It will be a temporary and false peace among the people. And anyone who leads as Jesus leads will face the same thing. Anyone who identifies sin as something that is not merely individual, but also systemic and structural and speaks out about it, will be bringing a healing fire to some and an anxious fire to to others, depending on how open you are to receiving it. I want you to know something. The work that we are trying to do and aspire to do as a church is stressful. Entrepreneuring, vital ministries in San Francisco, which we have done, 
and staying solvent as a church is stressful. <laughs> yeah. Naming white supremacy, homophobia, sexism, nationalism, racism in a church setting is stressful. Yes, it is. Naming these asking hard questions about human sexuality, sexual trauma, purity culture, sexual addiction is stressful. Disrupting cherished narratives that make us feel good but do not set us free is stressful. Waking up to your own complicity in systemic oppression is stressful. Not everybody is here for it. But it's the fire that will set you free. It's painful, but look, it's healed up. Here's why, and here's the second big idea. The status quo is always easier. It's always easier. And Jesus will not abide the status quo. These are startling words from Jesus. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. What? Prince of peace much, Jesus? <laughs> My peace I leave with you much, Jesus? Where, where's peace-loving Jesus? What happened to that guy? And here's the thing. Jesus loves a deeper, truer peace, a real peace over a false peace that ignores underlying injustices, and that's what's going on in this passage. Because the word peace here is also translated calm or order or status quo according to one commentator. Jesus will not abide the status quo, and as a disruptor of the status quo, he opens himself up to critique, stress, slander, and as we know, violence. In the civil rights era, they had a word for people like Jesus. You know what that word was? Agitator. Agitator. And most frustrating of all for agitators like Jesus is a lukewarm or sleepy approval of what he is saying without the urgency needed to bring it about, bring about a real peace that heals. In your worship folder, our first quote, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about this in his letter from a Birmingham jail when he wrote, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with the methods of your methods of direct action who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. See, Jesus is not trying to pick a fight. Jesus is trying to bring in a new way of being in the world. Something he called the reign of God. 
what King called a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. This is why Yale Divinity Scholar Teresa Berger said about this passage, this is the basic basis of the conflict Jesus envisions. He comes not to disturb a nice world, but to shatter the disturbing and death-dealing systems of meaning that stifle life. Ta-Nehisi Coates is an African-American correspondent for The Atlantic. And in his book, Between the World and Me, which is a required reading, I believe, for anyone who's involved in trying to do the work of anti-racism. He publishes a series of gut-wrenching letters to his teenage black son about the harsh reality that he cannot escape the violence that slavery and racism will inflict in his son's body. Throughout the letters, he urges his son and thus all his readers to reject concepts, rushing to concepts like peace as a way of hiding our head in the sand and denying the way that our divisions impact the minute-by-minute minute lives of ourselves and others. So Coates says this to his son. You have to make peace with chaos. But you cannot lie. You cannot forget how much they took from us and how they transfigured our very bodies into sugar, tobacco, cotton, and gold. Close quote. This peace that does not lie, that refuses to lie, that comes beside chaos and names for the chaos for what it is, that is the peace of Christ. This is the deeper peace that Jesus insists on. True peace, not false peace. Peace that includes justice. Peace that includes truth, especially the hard truth. And while I believe that Jesus, under the stress of an upcoming lynching by empire, is talking about systemic and structural false peace, we can also take a moment to apply this at a more personal level as well. In what areas of your life right now are you settling for a false peace? In your marriage? In your relationships? With yourself? With those you work with? With your job? There's a facade that you have settled for. In what areas of your life, in what ways, for example, did your family system teach you to present a false peace no matter the dysfunction and even abuse happening inside it? Or to present a false peace about your marriage? In what ways have you been socialized to keep the peace at the expense? of others, or at the expense of yourself. As a pastor for 30 years, I can tell you, this, this, tell you that dismantling your false peace structures is some of the hardest things I ask people to do, and the most important work 
of your life in order to be a free person. Third big idea. Not everybody is on board with this notion of peace. <laughs> Not everybody's on board with this notion of peace. You might find yourself on an island within your own family system, as many of you have. Jesus himself experienced this kind of separation as his own family was torn by his ministry. There was a time when his family wanted to bring him home as they wondered if Jesus had had a psychotic break. And as I've said many times, following Jesus is hard work. To believe in Jesus without qualifications, to believe Jesus and follow his way of love as a way to run the world, to believe in Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, to believe Jesus as the unimagined solution for a world gone wrong and not merely a chaplain or cheerleader for our favorite version of the status quo is very hard to do. Not everybody's on board with that. Turns out believing in the Prince of Peace who insists on peace with justice is hard. I understand that. When you are going to address the things that make for peace, the underlying injustices, the underlying unacknowledged prejudice and hate and evil and fear that lurks in our hearts, guess what? People don't say, thanks for telling us. Thank you so much for saying that to me. Thanks for helping us to see we are complicit in racism. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'll be glad to change. Oh, I have to confront old lifelong assumptions about race, about gender, about all these things. Sign me up. I actually have written in my notes here, LOL, because it was like when I was writing it. Forgot I was actually writing a sermon, not texting somebody. I don't know. There will be pushback. There will be pushback. Jesus is saying expect short-term fallout. There will be division, trouble in the family between older and younger generations. What does the text say? Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some people read it and say, oh, Fred, I get the whole in-law part of this. That's fine. I got that. For the record, I love my mother-in-law. That's the son say that. But as part of our calling as followers of Jesus, we are to insist, we are to insist on change in our world, to call attention to injustices. In this world, this country, we are still dealing with racism, sexism, equality for LGBTQ persons. We're struggling with what we're going to do about our, eco, our entire ecosystem that has been shifted out of balance by an economic system racked with greed. The status quo will never address this. If I'm reading the data right in terms of the environment, the status quo will make this earth uninhabitable by humans in short order. Look, the earth, earth is going to be fine. Don't worry about the earth. We just won't be able to live on it. That's what the data is telling us. Jesus knew you can't bring justice Bring peace without justice, and justice is about power. And so far in human history, not many people besides Jesus give up power willingly, so there's a confrontation. There was, is today, was in Jesus' time as well. So Jesus is preparing us. He says, listen, it's not going to be easy. Jesus is saying in this text that this might get worse before it gets better. We might have to heat things up and stir things up before we can wake people up. 
Or as Rachel Held Evans put it, if Christianity must die, may it die to the old way of dominance and control and be resurrected to the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Okay, friends, I submitted myself to the lectionary this week. I could have called an audible, chosen a different text. I mean, come on, the prodigal son is only a couple chapters away from this. Just kind of skip to that. They won't know. They'll just think, oh, great, I love that story. But I want to suggest to you that this is a timely, timely word for us. Woody Guthrie said, who, who in this room has ever heard of Woody Guthrie? Okay, I was a little, okay, yeah, that's sad. All right. He said, it's a folk singer's job to comfort disturbed people and disturb comfortable people. And preaching in the way of Jesus can be this way too. And I want you to know, I've heard people say to me, Fred, look, the week is hard enough. I don't want to come to church to hear about oppression. It sounds like you're getting political. It's divisive. I want peace when I come to church. And I get that. I do. Suggested thought. That is at least as much of a statement about your need for rhythm and rest in your vocational life as it is about your Sunday experience here. But I get that. Monday through Saturday can be exhausting. Period. But here's the challenge. And I hope you can see it as a gift of the hard truth of this reading today in the gospel of Luke. We're not going to be celebrating the status quo. The status quo gets you crucified. The peace the church offers is the peace of the crucified community that gathers to console and support and uphold one another as we are involved in the struggle of following Jesus with integrity. Weekly worship is a halftime talk. It's a rallying cry. There is consolation, absolutely, but it is not a spa. Much as I love spas, escapism is not allowed in Jesus' kingdom. And good for Jesus in not allowing it. Because there is liberating work to do every week when we gather here and say that the peace of Christ is among us right here, right now. We are living into a peace that is real and rooted in the gospel of death and resurrection. That though salvation is God's gift for us all, it is never easy because God's transformation happens in the hard places. Because resurrection tells us it's all going to be, in the words of Dr. Edgar Watson, in 1978, all healed And as we pray today to finish this, I'm going to use, felt like the right thing for this particular sermon, the fourfold Franciscan blessing. So let's pray. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with a holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.